Good morning, good morning, my faithful few. All right, awesome. So for anyone who's new today, welcome to River City. We're so happy that you guys are here worshiping with us. Uh, my name is Mariah, and we just want to let you guys know that we just appreciate you guys being here this morning. So before we get started on service, we usually start with a lectionary reading, and it's just a corporate reading. gets us involved with the reading with the Universal Church, the Community Church, and it's going to be Psalms 32 this morning. And it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer, Selah. And I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you gave and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place to me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance, Selah. And I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. And I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed by a bit and a brittle, or will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteousness, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And so, Father, this morning, we invite your presence. Lord, we love your presence and we lavish in your guidance and your wisdom. We thank you for the gift of forgiveness and salvation. We thank you for the grace that you are extending on us this morning. Lord, we bless this church body. Bless the dark places in their life where they need counsel. Bless the dark places in their spirit where they need restoration. Lord, we invite you in and we worship you because you are worthy of praise. And in your son's holy name we pray, amen. As we head into prayers of the people, something that I was reminded of um, was there's a portion of songs that are specifically, um, if you look at the chapters, it's like 120 to 134. Um, they, they are psalms of ascent. That's what it says. And so these psalms were sung as they were pilgrimaging to Jerusalem. And it was really hilly and it was really hard. And so this group of people, a couple times a year, would go and travel. And it was really hilly and it was really hard. And they would specifically had psalms and songs that they sung collectively when it got really hard. It wasn't that it was feeling easy in that moment, but they were going to declare what they've seen God do in the past, which was still true and what he was going to do. 
And so as a community, as a group of people in the middle of nowhere, you would hear the voices in the song of people saying, this is who I know my God is. And so we will journey on. And so we will step and climb the hill. And that is what prayers of the people is for our community. When we are praying for the nations and we're praying for the leaders, this is our opportunity to have our own song of ascent say, it doesn't feel this way and it is hard and we acknowledge that, but we will declare and proclaim that this is who we know God is. And for just a moment, if you could imagine, if you'd close your eyes and think of being in the quietest, most deserted spot, and all you hear for a moment is the heavy breathing of taking the next step. You can't turn around, you're going forward, and all you hear with a group of people is the heavy breathing and the sweating and maybe the cries, and all of a sudden, a song begins to sing that sounds something like, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He will keep you. He who keeps will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Those are the words that they were saying and singing together in the midst of climbing a hill. And the next hill, and the next hill, and the next hill. And it matters. It shifts things. It shifts the momentum. It refocuses what you're staring at. You're not necessarily staring down at your feet at the rock that you're trying to get over. You pick your head up. You begin to lift your voice up. And so when we pray for all over the world, the nations and the leaders every week, we are lifting our voices up. And we're saying, we know it looks dark, but pick your eyes up and we will sing the song with you. So full of faith and hope, regardless of where you stand, would you pray with me? God, we pray for the universal church, its members and its mission. We pray for those who are worshiping in quiet and in secret. We pray for those who are on the side of a mountain, literally, figuratively, spiritually. Would you meet them where they at? Would they have the courage to pick their head up? We pray for the churches in South Korea who cannot meet right now because of the coronavirus. We pray for the ongoing attacks and persecution of the the Nigerian church. May they be reminded that their help comes from the Lord. May we sing that anthem for them. 
And may their faith be spurred on to press on, to keep climbing. We do, we pray for the coronavirus as the, the, the news and the non-news and the uncertainty begins to just spread and chaos begins to erupt a little bit everywhere around the world. God, would you clearly intervene? Would you give wisdom to the doctors? Give wisdom to the CDC? Protect every caregiver, every nurse, every hospital? a people that respond in peace knowing that our help comes from the Lord and we need your help if you are in the River City community you would really appreciate having somebody else sing a song over you, pray a prayer over you. If you are feeling burdened, if you feel like the weight of something is going to make you crumble, would you give us the opportunity to pray with you? And I don't just mean raise your hand. I mean, would you be so bold that you would actually be willing to speak out the thing that you're needing prayer for? If you are in a place of distress, Would you raise your hand so we can call on the name of the Lord? Higher so other people can see. So if you would look around, if your hand is not raised, there are people's hands who are raised. So if you would pick your head up for a moment and look around and surround the people. People are looking. They want to surround you. They want to come around you.
God, we thank you that you tell us that you are near to the brokenhearted. Would you come as we call upon your name in our distress, you tell us that you answer us? We thank you that you are faithful to respond. You are faithful to be near. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the privilege and the honor it is to get to sing a song, that we get to pray the words of saying, this is who we know that you are. There is no darkness where you show up. comfort, bring your healing hand. There's some things happening after service today that we want you to be a part of, but today I'm going to be sharing about the desert experience, more specifically the, the spirit leading Jesus into a desert, and an interesting story where the emphasis isn't the devil in the desert, but the spirit leading Jesus into that space. And so I hope to give you guys a good framework of where Jesus is and why he's there so that you can put yourself in the story. I think that's big. But the first thing I'm going to do is I have to share some larger announcements with you about the church. So for the past six months, we've been, the staff and the Wise Council, which is the leadership of the church, have been praying, answering tough questions, meeting together, praying, answering more tough questions, meeting together, and asking God to lead. And so next week, I'm kind of considering it like Town Hall Sunday. So if you're a part of the community, I would say be it next week. We don't do that kind of thing here. We're not, we never press about making sure you're here, but it will be very helpful for you to be here because of the things we're sharing. So you'll hear about the pots, which are the prayers of the season, which we do twice a year. And they're things that we do together to see God about so that he can answer. You'll also hear a couple large-scale announcements next week that have come through prayer, and two specifically this week that have come through prayer. These are not quick decisions that have happened. These are not spur-of-the-moment things. They have been prayed through and sought after. We've sought after God together. So I'm just going to tell you the, the big announcements, and then you can absorb them, and then you can pray with us. So number one, Katie Craig, at the end of May, will be stepping away from kids' ministry. And it's come through a process of seeking God about what she needs to be doing with her life, and she feels led out of it. So I'll stop right there and say, when Katie came on a few years ago, and until now, she has been a gift from God to our community. She has answered so many things, done so many things, and gotten the kids' ministry to where it is, and it's amazing. The kids' ministry is growing, in a growing church. There is a lot of needs, of course, in a kids' ministry, and that's partnered with A second announcement, which is slightly different, but Jordan will be stepping completely over into the table as the director of the table. So he'll be stepping out of his role as pastoral staff and into the table director, 
And so they'll still be around. And if you're going to ask questions about what's going to happen with Katie, give her space. Maybe not everybody at once. Um, Say thank you. And the big thing about both of these is these produce, of course, needs to do things in the future. And so one of our pots that I'm pre-sharing with you is related to this about kids ministry. And you can pull this, this one up. You'll get this next week. But of course, in this next season, as Katie prays, as Katie sees what God wants to do with her life, as she steps into kind of the next season, we're also asking for the same thing for kids ministry. And we've already been praying because we've known this for a little while. So our prayer collectively would be, and you don't have to read this with me, Lord, we pray for the upcoming transition in City Kids and ask for wisdom and discernment as we search to identify the right people and structures to lead that ministry moving forward. We trust that you will provide the right people and the structures for the next season as you have done in each of the past seasons. So we're stepping back and not saying who's the right person. We're stepping back and saying if we showed up right now and we saw this church with this kid's ministry after five years, how would God want to lead it, do what it needs to be done in it, develop, disciple, that's what we're doing. And so we have some space to do that so you guys can begin to pray about that. That will be something we become aggressive about accomplishing, right? We know that God wants our kids to grow, and so we're thankful for where he's gotten us now, and now we're trusting for the next season, and it's a good thing. So um, if you guys can just agree with me that you'll be praying about this at least early, can you just raise your left hand? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Either hand works. Either hand works. So next week, there's a couple other big announcements that are good as well. So um, again, if you see Katie today, love on her. Uh, Try not to build a line by her. Um, Jordan's out of town today. And so this will be coming. Jordan's actually in that role now. So he stepped into the table director now, okay? And you'll hear about kind of the voids this, this leaves for our staff and leadership. You'll hear more about that next week, what we're doing actively for that. So does everybody understand? All right, so I'm going to move forward now. We're going to jump right into the message. Okay, so if you haven't been with us, we've been talking about this concept with three things from John Mark Comer's website, Practicing the Way, and it's a, it's a discipleship-related um, website, which we're doing some, some stuff here on Wednesday nights for. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. We've already walked through the idea of confession as a gift, not as an indictment. Um, we spent some time on that. We spent some time on Sabbath and what worship truly looks like. We talked about worshiping in this space and then it not spilling into our lives and turning into the love of Jesus for people. It's, it was never really worship anyway. And so true worship looks like serving neighbor. Those things are not, and they have to be together or it's not truly worship. And how Sabbath impacts how we can do that. And then last week, my friend and mentor, Dr. Johns, was here. Who was here for that? Who was not here for that? I would encourage you to listen to the, the podcast. She said four or five things that I'll probably never forget. Um, she talked about the glory of God and how the body of Christ now is in a space where we need to press into that. She talked about how prayer never dies, concept I will never forget. The prayers from thousands of years ago, they don't die, they're in heaven. The, she talked about the thin space that the Celtics talked about, about how we can experience the presence of God. She talked about the holy hush and how... can. Conviction is a beautiful thing, and in that space, the heaviness of God, when it shows up, it's either we choose God or we choose ourselves. She talked about so many things I can't recap, but she built a good foundation for where we're going next, and so today's the first day of, uh, the first Sunday of Lent, okay? And I know for a lot of you, that's not something that 
You've maybe practiced. For our church, we've kind of grown in practicing this because we see the benefits of it. A lot of churches do a 21-day Daniel fast at the beginning of the year. Who's ever done that with a church? So this is the idea of, along with the Christian calendar and other Christians, stepping into 40 days, not including Sundays, to seek God, okay? Stepping into a space to say, a lot of people will give up something to receive something, prepare their hearts for Jesus, and it ends on Easter. And so as we step into this, the idea of desert and wilderness is massively at play. And it wasn't just something that happened when Jesus was led by the Spirit. This was a kind of a framework that was built through the Old Testament where the Israelites, the, the number 40 actually meant a lot. It was Moses and being with God, the Ten Commandments. And it was the Israelites, it really became synonymous with their lack of faith in a testing season. But still God seemed to be faithful to them. And so as we step into this today, I want you to be able to at least examine where you are. I talk about this with our group on Wednesday night, that a navigation system is put in everyone's car, right? And maybe some of you don't have a car that has one. Maybe you don't have a phone that has one. And then if that's you, then you're my dad. And it's, it's good that you're here. I'm glad that you're here, dad. So, but for us to know where we are does not make that who we are, okay? So when I'm driving through the heart of Atlanta, and I actually did this when I was 17 years old, I decided to work in Atlanta for the Olympics. I was actually at the Omni, which is where the Hawks used to play, when the bomb went off and ran out of the building. This has nothing to do with the story, but I had to finish that. Uh, so one day we left, me and my um, friend, and we were driving through the wrong part of Atlanta, and we got stopped because I would work 18-hour shifts or 20-hour shifts, and a police officer was like, you don't know where you are, do you? And I was like, no, we're so lost. And he's like, you do not need to be here right now. You need to turn your car around and go that way. We were in a spot that didn't mean it's who we are. In two weeks, me and Sarah and my brother-in-law, Justin, and my, my younger sister, Erin, are going to be heading to, <laughs> going to, be heading to Colorado. And my, one of my favorite drives in the world is driving from the Denver airport into the mountains. It's the most beautiful place. Those are two places we are, right? Those places do not define who you are. They're just where you are. And so today, as we step into this, I'm just asking you to be able to examine, where am I? And if you know where you are, then you know what to do next or how to be where you are. And so that's the goal for today. And so I'm going to pull up this passage from Matthew, and you guys can open your Bibles to Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Right before this happens, though, we've talked about this previous passage so much in this church. Jesus has his baptism, he receives his identity, and the relationship between him and the Father is revealed as a loving relationship. So Jesus, right before this, has received all he needs to receive to know who he is. This 40 days here is not, does not have anything to do about who he is. This has to do about how he'll do what he'll do. But before this chapter happens, Jesus hears his identity, he understands his identity, he is uh, met by the Spirit, the voice of God speaks, people hear this, and then immediately this happens. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of Man, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him to a holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a third place now a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You guys could just close your eyes with me. Jesus, we thank you for providing this for us to not show us if we're tempted how to handle it or if we're in a dry spot how to handle it, but to show us when we're in those spots what to do. No one in this room will avoid these things. And so guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to give you a little precursor. This is going to get a little funky for a moment. Uh, One of the things in the group I'm leading on Wednesday nights in this room We had a bunch of people show up. We have around 25 to 30 people that want to start discipleship and kind of as a way to be. And I think this is the future of our church is discipleship as a way to be, paths into it. And so we have a bunch of people in this group. And one of the first things we have them do is listen to this talk built around the concept of stage theory. Everyone say stage theory. I just lost half of you and that's okay. But stage theory is a way throughout history that people have been able to examine where they are at with their walk. Since the second century, there's been one they've been using called the three ways. Everybody say the three ways. The three ways is tricky because there's actually four ways. So it's interesting. The first one is awakening. Everyone say awakening. This is a pre-stage. The pre-stage of awakening is when someone comes to the knowledge that God is real, there is a spiritual realm, and I would like to be in it. How does that look? There's an interaction, there's an acceptance, and then there's an awakening. We call that what? Conviction, salvation. I like that. I like that you did. Did you hug somebody today? Did you hug somebody today? Thank you. She's giving out free hugs, and they're good. All right, so awakening is salvation. The problem with awakening is that a lot of people think that's the end. And so even a lot of denominations are built solely around making someone choose to live for Jesus. And then there's this span of life that is just empty and void. Because just getting to heaven was the important thing. That's not, that's not the goal, right? So stage one is called purgation. Everyone say purgation. I just lost the other half of you. It's great. The reason I'm talking to you about this is because in this stage, there is a, a, after awakening, we start to realize sin. Everyone say sin. sin. Amen? We love to talk about sin. And sin... There are typically four different variants that we grow through, okay? Number one, everybody say gross sin. I don't mean like, ooh. I mean gross, like large sin. These are the sins that you hear people repenting of when they're talking about their testimony. For me, it was I was a thief. I was a drug addict. I was in rehab. That's actually real. And so when I would talk, talk about my experience with Jesus, I would talk about how he freed me out of those things. Gross sins are the first things that typically, as you start to grow in Christ, go. Because you can't really just be an awful, mean person to everyone and it just kind of be okay, right? The second level of sin is 
conscious sins. These are the sins that we move into, that we start to deal with, that a lot of people that aren't a part of the Christian community would say that's actually just what we do. It's sexual liberation. It's um, resentment and bitterness, bitterness and spite. It's uh, verbal outlashings on Facebook to people who deserve it. It's, it's the sins that you can get away with because no one's going to put you in jail for it, but, but you kind of know that you shouldn't do them, right? The third layer of sins is unconscious sins. This is where it starts to get interesting as you grow into this. These are the quiet sins. Used for anger, gross sin would be someone punching someone. Used for anger, conscious sin would be someone screaming at someone, right? That's, you're not going to get in trouble for that, but you shouldn't scream at someone, right? Used for anger, unconscious sin would be, I don't hit, I don't scream at you, but in my heart, I'm hoping something bad happens to you, right? It's, it's, it's transitioning from these outward, outward, inward, and it's a lot easier to just exist in these. And then the last thing is trust structures, which is the idea that good things are sitting in the seat of God. So trust structures are just what you receive. You think this is the most important thing, and it's replacing God. It can be family. It can be sports. It can be your spouse. It can be a ministry position. It can be your ability to sing or preach. It can be a lot of things that are good, but they're just not good because they're not God. Does that make sense? These are typically the last things. So the reason I'm sharing this with you is, one, I think you should consider jumping into some of these things we're trying to do as a church that go through a lot of this. And two, the passage here talks about sins that are actually things people would desire and things that we would celebrate if we saw them in a ministry and things that churches get away with growing because they're doing. And they're things that Jesus, as he looks at them, says, I'm not going to bite that apple because he's looking for something different. These seem good. Matthew's congregation here See, they would have an understanding of Jesus as a Messiah. They would desire to have Jesus come as Messiah. They would want him to be Lord of their life, but they would still have no idea what humility was. They would have no framework to know, you're talking about a Savior that does all these things, but does them this way? This is what this passage is about. This passage is about, like one of the questions is, if you are, you know, the first temptation, if you are the Son of God. It's not really for Jesus if he is. He knows that. And even for many of you, it's not if God loves you. I was able to say for years and years, I know God loves me, but how does that impact my life? Like, I know he loves me. He has to love me. I know he loves me, but why do I live this way? It's not if he is the son of God. The true question is, how are you going to be the son of God? And this is where he got in trouble, right? Temptation number one, you can pull up this slide. Turn this stone into bread. There's a lot of ways to look at this, this temptation. You can go back to that slide, Bill. We like to, the first, I think the low-hanging fruit for this is do the miraculous as proof, right? We've preached all the messages about how ministries that are built only around miracles, they're leading people to a miracle, and miracles in, in Scripture were supposed to lead people to who? They were a sign of what was to come, right? Miracles aren't bad. They're definitely not Jesus, right? They lead to Jesus. So he's saying no to that because he could have done that. He could have turned this stone into bread. 
but it's also, I think, the largest thing where it lands directly in our lives. It's the idea that Jesus could be self-sufficient, which he could have been. He could have done this and not needed it. And think about what the bread would become. The bread is where the body gathers. The bread in its normalness, its non-miraculousness. The bread is just bread. Like even the best bread is just bread, right? Like where's the best bread from? Doesn't matter. It's still White Mountain bread. Is that the best bread? No? What is it? Arthritis bread? (laughs) Sounds disgusting. From the Bronx. I believe that's actually really good bread. So, so Jesus here has the ability, because he's the son of God, he's already, he's already walking, and he knows who he is, has the ability to say, I can turn this into what I need right now. I can turn what you've given me, God, into what I need right now. Think about this. I can turn what I need into what I need because of the power you've given me. If this doesn't punch every minister in the world in the heart, then we're not reading the text wrong. Right. Self-sufficiency. All right. Number three, not really if. Jesus isn't. The question the devil produces is meant to, to, to stray him like it did Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? Right? Like the text in Genesis. Did, if, if God really said that, right, he would want you that... Jesus isn't Adam and Eve. He's the second Adam, but he doesn't fall for that. He knows who he is. So now it's a matter of whether or not he's going to do it the way he's supposed to do it. And the way to not do it is take the power he's been given and use that for himself. We could just stop right here and all repent, especially this guy, four hours. All right, it's more than food or survival. One of the takes on this that I don't love but I think is so real is ministry that's just about feeding. Hear me not wrong. Feeding the poor is a a requirement of the body of Christ, but it is not the end. And if our ministries are built only around what we're doing to help, we are not living the gospel. His answer is man will not live on bread alone, but on what? You cannot separate Jesus from God. Whether mission looks beautiful, whether we can build a seminary around it, whether we can write books around it, yes, it's true and needs to happen, but it's not number one. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do what he did. He says to the devil in temptation, I'm not just going to make bread. He does it again, feeding the 5,000, the miracle of bread. He could have become bread king. He could have become known as the king who makes bread for the hungry, but he said no. That's not enough. It has to be a hunger that leads you to something deeper, something like what the woman at the well experienced when she came for water and food and tasted and saw Jesus and forgot that she was physically hungry. She left full. The meal that's being provided, Jesus knew it was important. He knew it was important to not take the low-hanging fruit, the things that people will celebrate in you. Oh, dude, you're so gifted. You're so gifted. The things that, that we say to people going into ministry or anywhere. Oh, you're so just awesome at this. You're going to be like one of the best. People told me when they first heard me preach that I was terrible. So that was the right thing, right? But then a couple years later, somebody told me I did good. And all of a sudden, I'm going to be the answer to, to Atlanta's problems because of my gift for preaching. Like, how do you live that and it not become leading people away from Jesus into a person? 
using the gifts God gave you for yourself, right? Don't get a ministry website. If you haven't here, please forgive me. Like, it's not going to be JTM, Josh Turner Ministries. It's not going to be that ever, and it shouldn't be. We're leading people to Jesus, number two, and I've kind of thwarted, but that's all right. Number two is the idea to throw yourself down. It's the, it's the temptation for spectacle. What are we doing in American church right now other than spectacle? We literally can build massive, massive movements of people around things that have nothing to do with the gospel because we can enamor people, because we can draw people with things that are secondary tastes. Jesus wouldn't do it. Could Jesus have done it? Do we love celebrity? Oh my gosh. I mean, I would ask you if you watch Bachelor, but I know that none of you do. I know that because you're holy. Like American Idol. We're, we're watching American Idol as a family because we have somebody that's connected to somebody on it, maybe in this room. And one of the girls on there was from Ackworth and friends with one of my sister's daughters. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh my gosh, we know her. We know her. I've never met her. I've never seen her until that moment. Now I'm telling people, we're, I, like, we're basically, she's going to be singing in our church. We love famous people. Kobe Bryant. The world shut down when Kobe Bryant died. We love, we love spectacle. We love when somebody's amazing. We want to be amazing. Jesus says no to being amazing in that way. Jesus never, you could talk about the miracles he did. Talk about it in the context of how he lived. The way that he placed himself upon the earth, the way that he bore the message of God was in such a way that people were angry that it wasn't a spectacle. So just know that you know that if you're feeling the temptation of being led into doing what you're doing for God, for you to become something awesome, Two things are happening. You don't believe what's already been given to you. You are a child of God. It's not earnable. And that will not lead to what you think it will lead to. Humility. We need more bodies and movements that embody humility. Not anger. Number three. This one's kind of simple. This is the, the temptation for political power and domination. And Lord knows we don't struggle with that here in America right? Just compromise a little, right? This is how movements or uh, parties politically can somehow move above what the gospel means and almost become synonymous. But what happens is the gospel is what disappears before the party. And so it becomes this idea that Jesus is blessing this for us, and this is his means. Hear me clearly, it is not. Jesus does not share the throne with a party, and he never will. And that is, I, I would, somebody asked me once, what would you fight people? And I wouldn't fight people for anything. I'd get beat up by all of you, I'm sure. But that's not, that's not up for negotiation. He's not sharing the throne with Trump or Obama or any other president. It's not, it's not a shareable throne. It is Jesus alone in his kingdom, and according to our friend last week, there are outposts set up all over the world, and we have brothers and sisters in every nation, in every tribe, in every tongue, 
And it doesn't matter if they're a part of our nation or a part of another nation. They're our brother and sister, and we are the same blood. Does that make sense? So we don't share Jesus' throne with anyone. It's not going to happen that way, because when it does, bad things happen. Things like the awful things, right? Like what Christians used the, the throne after Constantine to destroy and take lives, right? Like it's, it happens like this. He said no to it. Compromise a little. The end justify the means. To Jesus, the ends never justify the means. If the means don't look and live like the gospel, it is not Jesus. Hear that clearly. Just because you can get the thing that seems like the thing and traveling to it, you've compromised. That is not the way of the gospel. That's definitely not the way of Jesus. And that's not the way that we should embody and bear the Son of God into the world. Does that make sense to everybody? So a couple of quick things, because I'm, I'm, I'm getting long here. I already feel like people are angry, and I, don't, I, I love you all. I really do. Like I, I'm on your team. Like We're the same team. Like we're, I think we're winning right now, actually. I don't know who we're playing, but it feels like we're up in the game. Uh, so I'm just going to j- keep jumping in. A couple things you need to know about this passage. Satan uses Scripture. Everybody say the word Satan. Satan uses Scripture, and it's actually correctly formatted, right? Which says something to Christians. Just because you say it's the Word of God does not mean it's the Word of God, because what Satan was doing with the Word of God was not the Word of God. Does that make sense? So just just taking in Scripture and knowing it is not the same as taking in Scripture and with the Spirit and community embodying it in the way that Jesus wants it to be given. Two different things. And you see Jesus' use of Scripture. It's in the right way. It's not for self. It's not for domination or power. You see the use of Scripture from Satan. It is for self-interest. It is not used in the right way. So this is, there's 72 classes we could jump into together on this. But just because you say a scripture at someone or yourself does not mean it's in the right context. So, so example, someone does you wrong and you say to them, well, I'm the head and not the tail. Beep! Like a couple things happen there. I've actually heard that before. So wrong context, wrong heart, right? Right, right. Another way to use scripture, uh, there's so many ways to misuse scripture, right? You can't, I've said this before, and I'll say it a hundred times. You're not even equipped by yourself to handle Scripture. The devotional time without the body, it's, it's impossible. There's too much in here. It's too dangerous, right? It's the lion. And, and, and uh, what's the movie that has the lion? Which the wardrobe? That's the one. Narnia. That's what I was saying. Narnia. It's too dangerous. You need your brother and sister to be able to discern it correctly. Not for yourself, not for power, not to abuse not for spectacle. Right. This is good. It's good, guys. We're doing great. I mean, we're all here, right here together. Amen? All right. Testing is a gift. So I I know that people right now at this point, because I just went through a list of sins, some of you lost me there because you're still thinking about the sin you're literally actively failing to, and you've already indicted yourself. I'm glad that you indicted yourself because you need to be introduced to Jesus, who is the one who will let you off and lead you into freedom right? So move past that with me for a second. Testing or temptation in anyone's life, it's a gift. So this season of 40 days or a season for you where you do not feel God, you do not understand why you're there, you cannot comprehend how a God who loves you would put you in this situation, 
Hear me say this lovingly. It's a gift from God. And if you can lean into him, he will clarify some things for you. His voice, his desires, his plans. He will build in you the character the church actually needs. We do not need another really gifted speaker. We do not need the best music. We already have it. We all, I mean, not us, but the world. We have the best music. Speaker, I'll have to debate you on that one. That's not what we need. God can use people who have a hard time getting 10 words together. In the right heart, Jesus can use any of us. We're all ministers of the gospel, right? Testing is a good thing. If you're being tested right now, having to sit through this message, that's your test. You're like, if I make it through this guy's message, it's a good thing for you. It's a gift. Because in testing, it shows us clearly, and I talked about this two years ago, what our actual appetites are. When things are great, our appetites don't surface. They're just, you just kind of give, give, give. When things are not good, you realize what you're passionate about, what your trust structures are, what things might, what good things might be sitting in the seat of God, and he's giving you the opportunity to learn and discern his voice, and it's a gift. And if you can, in this process, see it not as an indictment, because that's what we do. We see, well, this, my life's bad, and this pastor, when I was growing up, said that if, if I'm if I follow Jesus, I'm the head and not the tail. I feel like I've been the tail for like two years. So I must not be walking with Jesus. That's bad theology, right? The Jesus that doesn't suffer is not Jesus. The Jesus, like we heard last week, that doesn't smell like the cross and only smells like resurrection is not Jesus. It's all Easter, no good Friday. We have to have both for there to be the gospel. Does that mean we want to walk around like this our whole lives lamenting? Like there's this temptation for churches to like, become really one with lamenting. We need to lament, but we need to have joy as well. It's both and, right? All right, I'm jumping forward. You guys can calm down, all of you right now. Serious. So this is a temptation for the... That was Jason Hamill, right? I don't have to look over there. (laughs) This is a temptation for the church too. And my fear for the church is all these things sound great. All of them sound great. In fact, I think they're in books for church planners. You want to gather a crowd, right? And here's how you do it, you know? You spend $10,000 on a mailer, and you're just going to kill it. You know, you have to have somebody that knows how to preach, somebody that's dynamic. You need some extroverts. All we have is introverts, by the way, so we're already, we're already wrong there. I don't think we have an extrovert on our staff. So the church, right? How would we not want to be able to just, just feed everybody in the world? Like, what if we had enough money to just feed everybody? It's not by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Spectacle. We have, we have churches that drop helicopters out of helicopters for people to come. We have churches that spend, I've, I've been a part of churches that have spent $20,000 for a one-day experience. And hungry people live in a trailer park behind the church. It could have literally changed the whole neighborhood. Spectacle draws a crowd. And a crowd means you have worth, right? Because if you have worth, then you're famous. And if you're famous, you're Kirk Cameron. And so, amen? All right. So here's my deal. We're going to close. Stay with me. I didn't say anything negative about him. He's, all right, for people who are going to get upset about that, 
calm down, right? You just don't need to be a celebrity. That's really the point of all this. Like, you don't need to be a celebrity to be gifted by God. You don't have to be noticed to be used. You don't have to have a stage to do what God called you to do. If, that, if all those things are requirements, you're not doing it for God. You don't even have, we don't have to talk about it. We can just settle that right here. If this is a requirement for you to be used, it's not even God's. Dear God, don't let God use you in that because you're just going to harm people. The way that you're used by God is in humility and selflessness. You need community. For those of us that think, I don't, need, I don't need the church, the body of Christ is stupid. We have the better way. You don't have the better way. Nobody ever has. We all need each other. We all need Jesus. We're all people. We always will be. There's always stuff to fix. There's always stuff that's awesome. Every church has all the same problems, all the different problems. I'm just ranting today. I don't even know what I'm doing at this point. I'm ranting at myself. Olivia? All right. So let's just clear this up. The question for you is not if you are a son or daughter. The question for you is not if you are a son or daughter. I don't care who you are in this room and where you're at on the spectrum of sin. The Father's voice over you is drawing you into a gift that you do not deserve. It never had anything to do about you doing anything. It's already settled. Like that's every Easter. That's already settled. It's whether you believe it or not. And the big question is, how will you live that to the world? How are you going to live the gospel of Jesus Christ to your world? You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. His blood is in your blood. His DNA is your DNA. You look like him. You have gifts, yes. Some of you in here haven't even discovered how he's going to use you to, to be poured out into the community, into the body, into the world. The question isn't, if your question is still, am I, does he love me? Let's settle that. That's not, that's not even, he, Jesus is like, this is I'm not even, see ya. Bye. I'm not even in it. I'm not even going to mess with that because I know that's done and it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with him. It's not about if you're a son or a daughter. That is done. Everybody say it's done. I promise. It's how you will give that to the world. Will you do it in the way that Jesus did it? Are you able to wait when waiting is impossible? Are you able to not make it about yourself? If you did make it about yourself, you'd just feel a little better. Are you able to bear the life of Christ to a world that needs to see a humble king in a body that loves selflessly, that's not building their own kingdom? Are you able to bear the life of Christ to your world? That's the question. If you could all stand. I'm going to read this passage to you. This is your new passage. This is Romans 8. And again, I'm reading this in the message because it's not my central passage. So theologians in the room, calm down. It's okay. Eugene Peterson's pretty smart. This is for you for today, for your week. I'm going to read it to you. If it helps you to close your eyes, please do so. You want to come up here? Cool. You're either here for prayer or for worship. The combo is good, so let's do that. All right. So what do you think? Close your eyes. Imagine the Spirit of God being alive in this room because the Spirit of God is alive in this room. The Spirit of God is here. We are His temple. It's moving in and out. In our hearts, we're the collective temple. 
And he's speaking over you these living words. These are not ancient relics. These are active and alive words meant to penetrate all the way through to the marrow. So when it's spoken to you, it's the word of God, the living God, not the ancient God. And he speaks this to you. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who dare tangle with God by messing with one of his chosen? You are his chosen. Would you dare even point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ? Love for us. There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. Hear that. Whatever is happening doesn't phase us because Jesus loves us. Whether we have a house or we don't, whether we have a spouse or we don't, whether we have money or we don't, whether we're in our dream job or we're not, whether we're lonely or full of community, whether we don't have our loved ones next to us or all of them are next to us, we have Jesus and he loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, not living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely noticing nothing can, be, can get between us and God's love because on the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. And I just want to read you one more passage and you can keep your eyes closed if you want. At the end of, you can actually look at me for a second. At the end of this passage, we're close. It says that angels appear to minister to him and that's peculiar. But did they appear? right? There's a passage in the Old Testament. You can pull up this passage from, I think it's from 2 Kings. that says this, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are for them. And he still hadn't seen yet. He still sees the army actually there to hurt. Then Elijah prayed, oh God, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. There was a stinking spirit army the whole time. The whole time. He just couldn't see. So hear the word of the Lord speaking over you in your impossible situation. There's a stinking spirit army all about. Open your eyes and see. And Jesus, as we approach you and your table, we know that the entry into this is belief and trust in the many gifts that you give us that we cannot give ourselves. So stir us, God, in a way allows us to come hungry and thirsty. All who are hungry and all who are thirsty. Come, come and eat. 
This is Genesis chapter 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but the earth became waste and emptiness. And I think that can also be translated as chaos and darkness. And darkness was on the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was brooding upon the surface of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And then if you scroll down later in the chapter, it says that he said it was good. So just as we were worshiping earlier and sharing the prayers of the people and different things that the Lord is highlighting that's going on inside us as a group, but then us as individuals, um, just wanted to affirm that the Lord is the Lord is light and he is the one that speaks light into the darkness. He is the one that addresses the waste and the emptiness and the darkness, and he turns it into something that is good. Thanks, Caleb. And I'm going to pray over you. And Jesus, I just I thank you for the presence of God that is within your community and the gift that this is. Help us to be an outpost of your kingdom, God. God, I want that so bad, to be an outpost of your kingdom to this community and to our families. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.